Hi guys, Talisha from the Progressive Podiatry Project and Foot Pain Explained here. Today we're going to be exploring the question of do you have biomechanical tunnel vision and can it be shortchanging your treatment outcomes? Now before I get started, I do want to mention that we do have our Plant Fasciopathy Exercise Rehabilitation Masterclass launching very soon. Now this is for clinicians that want to learn what to load, when to load and how to load those patients that come in with plantar heel pain. So within this course, we cover the structure and function, clinical assessments, diagnostic imaging, all the literature and best practice guidelines when it comes to plantar fasciopathy development and the treatment approaches, and then also how to formulate exercise rehabilitation programs or load monitoring and modification programs for your patients. So if you'd like more information, head to progressivepodiatryproject.com forward slash PF masterclass and you can find all the information there. Now let's get into today's episode. The Progressive Podiatry Project, here to share knowledge, insights and information for you to improve your clinical practice and most importantly, help you help your clients. Now, before we get too far into the episode today, I do want to make it very, very clear that I do feel the podiatrist or a podiatrist knowledge, skills, and ability to prescribe orthomechanical interventions is second to none. It's something that is a very strong part of our wheelhouse as podiatrists. It's something I feel that we do very well. And I think it's something that we can and should be very proud of. But I do feel that oftentimes, and part of this may be just due to our training, habit, whatever the reason, I do think that there's some areas that we need probably a little bit more improvement on. And that's just not with podiatrists. A lot of other professions, as far as the clinical history taking and when we're implementing certain therapeutic interventions or assessments, does have room for improvement. So what I mean by this is oftentimes when we've got someone coming in and they're complaining of musculoskeletal pain, oftentimes what will happen is the podiatrist will go, okay, we need to do a biomechanical or a gait assessment straight off the bat. And this may happen within a few minutes of the initial consultation. I think I've lost count of how many patients I've seen over the years that they've come in and they've reported that they've seen whoever else or however many other practitioners. And um, whilst not everyone does this, but it is quite a common theme where someone will come in and go, oh, I came in, we spoke for two or three minutes and then I did two or three laps up and down the corridor. They said I needed orthotics and off I went. They didn't help. So this again highlights that oftentimes we can be too quick to blame someone's biomechanical presentation for, as being their root cause of the problem when there's arguably a lot more other factors that could be contributing to the presentation in that individual outside of their biomechanics. So part of the purpose of today is essentially, well, hopefully creating a little bit of self-reflection when it comes to managing chronic plantar heel pain. Now, it can extrapolate out into other pathologies, musculoskeletal pathologies, but because of a few of the things that I want to discuss today, risk factors, for example, we will hone in on plantar fasciopathy. So if you're someone who's finding that you're struggling to get consistent outcomes with your patients and you're applying more or less the same treatment approach or paradigm to that person or protocol, I should say, um, if you're applying the same protocol to most of your patients and you're getting very, very mixed and varying results, 
and they're not always great outcomes, oftentimes there's something missing and we do need to zoom out and have a bit of a look at the bigger picture. So kind of building on and just giving some examples of that, us needing to zoom out in some scenarios. Now, as many of you know, I do do a regular amount of coaching with other health practitioners. And a lot of the times the coaching I do is essentially just getting another set of eyes on a clinical presentation that this person has or a case that they're managing and helping step them through what have they done with their clinical history? What have they assessed? And just trying to break it down and see if there's any gaps in the assessment or treatment or where we need to go. And it oftentimes is quite successful. Now, part of what's sort of led into today's discussion is that I have had a run of a number of people I've coached recently, and it's very common and it's not a criticism to the practitioners by any means, because we've often with a few of these patients achieved really good outcomes. It's, I think just, again, highlighting probably a little bit of a systemic pattern that we do, whether or not it's through our training at university and just habit of how we're approaching our assessment and management of plantar heel pain and where it probably needs a little bit of a tweak in some situations. So now I'm not speaking to one specific coaching session or case. It's kind of a consolidation of quite a few that share very similar traits and presentations, I should say. So essentially, it's probably four or five ones I'm talking about here. So all of these were coaching sessions over the last 12 months where it's been a really tricky and severe case of plantar heel pain that we haven't been able to, or the practitioner hasn't been able to get a handle on. So what I usually do in these situations is someone will approach me and go, oh, can you help me out with this? First step is me always going, okay, I need the case history after you've gained patient consent to share that with me so they know that you're, we're going to be talking about them. Not publicly, but having our conversations. So with this, it's asking for the case history. And with a lot of these coaching sessions that we've done, one of the biggest things that I've found is the case history that's come through, There's in some instances, there's been some social and activity history included. But in others, there's almost none. And then it's just been a barrage of relatively, relatively arbitrary biomechanical measures that may not have anything at all to actually do with this person's pathology development. It may have um, painted a little bit of a picture of their current clinical presentation, but a lot of the times, especially when we're dealing with a chronic presentation, it may not be what's contributing to it. So for example, if you've got someone that they're really laterally loading on the foot that's affected, or they've got a early heel lift, or their step length is shorter, maybe they're just walking that way because they're in pain. It's not because they're walking that way that's caused the pathology in the first place. So if we're jumping down the biomechanical bandwagon or pathway first up, maybe we're just tackling a symptom and in some cases addressing a symptom can open the treatment window but it's not going to do anything to try and identify what's contributing to it in the first place so if you're someone that someone comes in and they go okay i've got plantar heel pain they won't say i've got pain in my heel whatever they say and then you go righto we'll just jump straight into the biomechanical assessment if that sounds familiar to you, especially if you're just jotting down all of these biomechanical measurements and then at the end of it going, oh, shit, I don't know 
how to interpret this or what it actually means for that person's presentation, this is the episode for you. Okay, so talking about risk factors for the development of plantar fasciopathy, there are an absolute ton and all of these individual risk factors, they may not be relevant for some people and they may have nothing to do with someone else's clinical presentation. So I'm just going to read out a list of current risk factors that are identified in literature for the development of plantar fasciopathy. Okay, being sedentary, being active, being a younger person, being an older person, being diabetic, being male, being female, having a cavus foot type, having a planus foot type, having knee varus, person, a person's biomechanics, so first NTP function or ankle range of movement, systemic diseases, a change in walking or running surface, rapid increases in activity levels, muscle strength deficits, ankle dorsiflexion range of movement, inadequate recovery, overuse injuries, footwear, technique, training errors, higher intensity activities, prolonged periods of weight bearing, standing on hard surfaces, and then there's other health related factors. So out of all of these that I've described, there's probably only three or four that are biomechanically related. So many other factors now, and they all have their own individual interplay. So for one person, just the fact that I'm female, it doesn't automatically mean that I'm going to get plantar fasciopathy just because my next door neighbor is male. Doesn't mean he's automatically going to get plantar fasciopathy just because I have a high arch foot doesn't mean I, or high arch foot type doesn't mean I'm going to get plantar fasciopathy. Just because someone has a flat foot doesn't mean they're going to get plantar fasciopathy. It's the interplay of individual risk factors coupled with exposure to mechanical loads that contributes to a person's presentation. So, and where this plays in, and it's very important for us to have a look at someone's clinical history, is if we look at the pathophysiology of plantar fasciopathy. So, it's over recent years being more considered that it's not just tension or tensile loads applied to the plantar fascia that contributes to its development. Compressive loads at the enthesis or the origin of the plantar fascia where it attaches to the calcaneus. Compressive loads can be equally, if not more important. And this is again where someone's history comes into play. Because if we've got someone who is younger, they're quite active, they train a lot, they're doing higher intensity activities, they've got potentially a higher arch foot type and they're running in running spikes, their development of plantar fasciopathy may be more tensile related. Whereas if we've got an older individual who may be relatively inactive, they might be a diabetic, they might be a little bit overweight, they might spend a lot of time walking barefoot on hard surfaces, so their pathological presentation may be more compression related. So if we're dealing with someone that it's more compression related, the treatment pathway may vary slightly. Oftentimes if they've got fat pad atrophy or there's changes to the fat pad, there may not be changes. It may just be compression because of the surfaces they're walking on. They may require changes in footwear to increase the stack height. So they've got more put cushioning under the plantar heel. They may require orthoses to help redistribute the compressive loads under the plantar heel. So it may be a deeper heel cup height. They may have an aperture. There might be more PPT placed under the heel in that orthotic device. They may not require 
exercises like high load strengthening for the plantar fascia to improve the tensile load. Again, it all varies between individuals. And again, this is why jumping into the biomechanical assessment before we actually explore someone's clinical history can shortchange us and our patients in the long term because we may miss the mark on what we actually need to do to help achieve a positive treatment outcome for them. Now, the clinical history taking, yes, it's very important for one, getting to know our patients, two, for us as clinicians to be able to identify their individual contributing factors that may be leading to the development of their presentation. So that's our, well, their intrinsic and extrinsic factors that's coupled with mechanical loading. But the other benefit of taking the time to get to know the patient, explore their presentation with them via conversations is we may be able to identify potential barriers for their recovery that may impede their recovery. And what I'm talking to here is psychobehavioral factors or our yellow flags. So with this, it's not just paying attention to what they're saying, but it's also paying attention to how they're saying it. So how someone communicates something can give us an idea if they do have pain-related anxiety or a fear of movement or kinesiophobia present. Now, if these factors are present, they do have a, it's quite co highly correlated that the presence of yellow flags, be it um, catastrophization or depressive symptoms or pain-related anxiety, the presence of yellow flags increases the likelihood of a poorer treatment outcome. Now, specifically in relation to plantar heel pain, there's a great paper that was published um, by Matt Kotchett and Angus Lenecki and a few other people. It, and it's called The Association Between Pain Catastrophizing and Kinesiophobia with Pain and Function in People with Plantar Heel Pain. And it really explores yellow flags and their relationship to plantar heel pain presentations really in depth. It's a great paper. So if you can get your hands on it, do it. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I will link to it below. Now, by sufficiently exploring a person's risk factors and the potential presence of psychobehavioral or yellow flags, what this can lead to is one, us being able to create more individualized management plans that address their individual factors or contributing factors. And it also affects and can influence the treatment narratives that we provide. And the treatment narratives, this comes around how we're linking the client's why, which is why they're seeking our care, to our what. So what are we doing as clinicians to help them achieve their goals? So what we're doing may be prescribing exercises. It may be prescribing an orthotic device. It may be prescribing a certain type of footwear. So it's, again, our what to achieve their why. Now, if we're able to successfully link our what to their why, it helps foster client understanding client understanding, client engagement, and it can help build that positive therapeutic alliance. So the more of an alliance we have with our patients and the better our rapport is, the better our relationship is, that naturally leads to better outcomes. And it's actually quite supported in literature. So anyway, now the third reason that it's highly beneficial to one, take the time getting to know our patients, but also identifying their individual risk factors and then identifying their potential barriers to engagement is it's to not waste time, money and energy 
on assessments or therapeutic interventions that are just not going to achieve what we need it to achieve because they may not be relevant. This is where we swing back to, do we need to do a biomechanical assessment in the first five minutes of someone presenting with plantar heel pain? If it's a chronic presentation, a lot of the times the answer is actually no. Yes, we may need to apply some strapping or do some therapeutic intervention at that point in time to help alleviate symptoms or give us an idea of where we may need to go down our treatment pathway. But in a chronic presentation, I feel, and I can lean on literature a little bit for this, there are a lot of things that are arguably more important during that initial consultation that we should be exploring, should be addressing before we go down the biomechanical pathway. Now, I don't want to leave it at just what you should and shouldn't be doing when it comes to assessing plantar heel pain or any other musculoskeletal pathology. But if I'm telling you that maybe we should zoom out from this biomechanical tunnel vision, what can we do instead? All right. So what we should be doing during our initial consultations is there's a number of areas that we need to explore. So there's eight that I feel are very important. So number one is the person's activity history. So have they had any sudden changes? Have they had an increase or decrease in intensity, duration or frequency? What do they get up to day to day? Number two, their occupational history if they are working, but if they're not working, this could be their social history as well. So basically their occupational history. What activities do they do at work? What footwear do they wear at work? Are they spending a lot of time standing on hard surfaces? Then three, which builds off this, their social history. So what do they do at home? What recreational activities do they get up to? What stresses may be present? And that also ties into occupational factors as well. That's our blue flags, but that's for another day. Um, Then the pain pattern, so the location of pain, the type of pain, what alleviating or aggravating factors are present. So is it someone that walking on harder surfaces is aggravating, but then as soon as they step onto carpet, it feels a lot better. That may hint towards a bit more of a compressive related problem. Or if it's someone that walking uphill, it makes it a lot worse. Potentially that's more tensile related. Okay, now number five, previous treatments. What was done? What worked? What didn't work? How long did it work for? So if they were given orthoses, explore the orthoses. So if it's someone, for example, that it's more compressive related and they did need a deeper heel cup and more cushioning under the plantar calcaneal region, but it was more a device that addressed the tensile load through the plantar fascia. Maybe it's not the fact that orthotics are garbage and not required. It may be the script wasn't maybe on point for what they needed. So, and other treatments, it may be, have they had cortisone? Did it help? Did it not help? If it didn't help, maybe there's not a lot of inflammation there that we're dealing with. Maybe there's other factors at play. And then there are other health factors. So um, do they have diabetes? And considering their age, for example, have they had any, say, ankle injuries that, or Achilles injuries that have impacted the ankle dorsiflexion range of movement? Because we know reduced ankle dorsiflexion, it does do transfer load to the plantar fascia, increases the strain loads on there, can exacerbate symptoms or contribute to it. Now, so that's what, six. Seven, objective tests. So this is our win-last test, our neural test to rule out potential 
differential diagnoses, so tarsal tunnel syndrome, etc. And then number eight would be our footwear. And now the footwear is re related and relative to their activity history, to their occupational history, to their social history. So before we jump down that biomechanical assessment, again, in my opinion, I feel that these areas for chronic presentations, well, actually even acute presentations, are probably a lot more important and relevant to devising a successful management plan than just jumping down the biomechanical pathway. So again, activity history, occupational history, social history, pain pattern, previous treatments, other health-related factors, objective tests, and footwear. So wrapping it up, I feel that if we take the time initially during the initial consultation to really explore the background of the person, their pathology, and getting an idea of what's actually driving their clinical presentation as opposed to pigeonholing them into what we assume is driving their pathology, a lot of the times biomechanics, it can arguably improve, well, improve our treatment outcomes, but also fast track our outcomes because we're not wasting time on therapeutic interventions that may not be relevant at all for that person. So I'd love to hear your feedback. If you're watching this on the socials, all the handles are at p3podiatry. If you want to email, p3podiatry at gmail.com. Don't forget, we do have our plantar fasciopathy masterclass course launching soon. Progressivepodiatryproject.com forward slash PF masterclass. But if you're not interested in the masterclass, that's fine. If you would like a free resource to help guide you through the exercise prescription thought process, which does tackle a lot of the questions I covered just before, you can download our movement prescription blueprint for free. Head to progressive God, I stuffed that up. Head to progressivepodiatryproject.com forward slash blueprint and you can grab a copy there. Now that's it for today. I'm Talisha. It's been great. I'll catch you next time. Cheers. Oh,